financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a medical doctor explains why it's time to begin unwinding the quarantine. We need to move about. We need to unwind these lockdowns and we need to do it carefully. And I'm all for getting some people that are at lower risk. They should get immune or get exposed. And we we are going to need that as a society. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, Go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. 
Welcome to your Friday. Dr. Dennis Durrell is standing by to discuss the quarantine, the performance of the World Health Organization, the possibility of a second wave of the coronavirus coming this fall, and also how soon we can expect things to get back to normal. Before that, I'd like to hear from my premium subscribers. Again, if you're a premium subscriber, pay attention. I recently received an email from a subscriber who is having a little bit of difficulty getting the premium episodes to play. Now, I wanna make sure that this is not a widespread issue. I have contacted Libsyn Support on this subscriber's behalf in order to solve the problem as quickly as possible. But again, I wanna make sure this is an isolated issue. So if you're having any issues with accessing the premium episodes, please let me know as soon as possible. Email me at richardserrett1 at gmail.com. Serrett S-Y-R-E-T-T, the numeral one at gmail.com. RichardSarrett1 at gmail.com. Dr. Dennis Durrell, MD, is a physician and practicing hospitalist and author of Your Healthcare Playbook, Winning the Game of Modern Medicine. He completed a fellowship in hospitalist medicine leadership at the University of California at San Francisco. Dr. Durrell was chief resident and did his internal medicine training at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill after earning his MD from Albany Medical College. He's an accomplished musician. Dr. Durrell has performed at the National AIDS Conference, among other venues. Dr. Durrell, welcome. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. Is there going to be a second wave in the fall or winter? Uh, I don't call it a wave because I think this coronavirus is here to stay for a while. So I think the number of cases kind of peaked. It'll go down throughout the summer. And then we will have some outbreaks in the fall for sure. So we'll have regional outbreaks, but I do not believe we will have anything like we had with this first uh, spring issue, the first spring prevalence. The head of the CDC, although he claims he was, or the, the headline was inaccurate, but he, he was talking about a wave coming and that it would be severe. But if you read the article, it's, it's because it's going to coincide with the flu season. Would you uh, agree with that assessment that we're going to get kind of a double whammy? We'll have coronavirus, as you say, but we'll also have the regular flu season on top of that. Yeah, I think we will definitely see uh, the double jeopardy of having more coronavirus cases in the fall. We won't have what we had in the spring, but we will have more cases. I think it'll be more of a regional outbreak or local outbreaks. But on top of that, you're right. If you look at 2017-18, that year influenza, we had 80,000 deaths. So if you begin to stack up COVID mortality on top of influenza, that can be very bad. So I agree with that, but I just do not think we will have a quote-unquote second wave that's worse than this first one. And then thereafter, as you say, it's going to be with us for a while. Coronaviruses have been with us since forever, really, but this particular strain you say is with us to stay. Thereafter, what will we expect? Will the numbers continue to dwindle or will they, what's it going to look like in a year, two, three years from now? Well, I think that we already have a treatment, one treatment. It had a modest effect, but it still had an effect, remdesivir. Uh, We're going to have vaccines 
by the end of the year, I say in the fall, but definitely by the end of the year. We have a couple of other promising therapies that involve monoclonal antibodies. So instead of a vaccine where our body, our body makes the antibody, you just give someone an antibody that you make. And I think when you start adding all of that together with a certain percentage of our population, when we move about, they're going to get coronavirus. So we won't get to herd immunity alone just without a vaccine, but we'll probably get to, you know, 45% herd immunity just from moving about. So when you put all those factors together, a vaccine that works, several therapies that work, um, uh, people that are not at risk moving about, so not the high-risk group getting immune eventually, uh, when you start adding all that, I would say two to three years from now, this would just be, you know, a very uncommon or if not, you know, rare infection that we might have mild outbreaks of. You mentioned the vaccine. I've read several immunologists talk about how a coronavirus does not generally produce a strong immune response, and therefore they were somewhat skeptical of the efficacy of a coronavirus vaccine. Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. Well, I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding. And Moderna, working out of Boston, working with the NIH, they had gotten from China the sequence to this virus, the genetic sequence of it. They had already worked on vaccines like this. This is an mRNA vaccine, which means it takes a little bit of genetic material. We inject it. It gets in our cells. And then instead of making a full virus, it only makes that spike protein. And then once that spike protein is made without a full virus, it doesn't affect you. But now our body sees it our body makes an antibody to that spike protein, and then we begin to have the defense mechanisms to fight off an infection. So we've already done that. Moderna did that in eight people in Seattle in March, and the results from that showed a robust, a robust immune response to this vaccine. Number two, if you look at people that had SARS in 2003, and you follow them, which they've done, see how long their immune response was to SARS, which is also a coronavirus, then we've now seen nine to 17 years later, they still have uh, antibody response. So I would disagree with the idea that you can't make a robust response. Um, whether you get it or you get a vaccine, I think we've shown that you can have a pretty strong immune response. You mentioned herd immunity. And I'm just wondering about the logic of keeping healthy people indoors, where if they were to go out and circulate and perhaps come down with the coronavirus, healthy younger people may be asymptomatic, may have a mild form of it. Whether or not we are reducing the possibility of herd immunity in the absence of a vaccine by keeping people sort of locked down and sheltering in place, would it have been better to allow the, the healthier, younger people to circulate and maybe even get it? Well, I mean, that's what Sweden did. <laughs> um, they didn't have the best outcome there. Um, I mean, they have something like 2,500 deaths. If you look at Denmark uh, nearby, it had 200. So I do think there's a price to pay for that. But uh, so that's a good strategy, except it can't be done on the backs of the vulnerable. So as you say, if you're young and healthy, I'm okay with you moving about, 
And I think that is a good thing. I think that we need to get some immunity to it. And I'm for all those things. Where I don't agree is if you're in a situation where you're living with someone that's high risk or you're visiting someone frequently that is high risk. For example, I go out in the community and I'm young and healthy and I go see someone in a nursing home and I spend a lot of time with them or I live with my grandparents, something like that that's going to be a bad recipe for more deaths. Uh, so, but I, in theory, I agree with what you're saying, as long as we're careful with our exposures uh, other than that. Right, right. We, we have to obviously mitigate risk for the, the most vulnerable, as you say. But I guess I'm just wondering about, again, the damage to the economy and also having people, this is something that you've talked about previously, having people sheltering in place and not going to the hospital when they, they may need to, if they have a heart problem, or for screenings, which a lot of those have been postponed. Again, wondering whether the collateral damage here of a lockdown were people not going to the hospital when they should be. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I do think, so I take the view, I like to dispel a couple myths. So this is more deadly than the flu. That's just a fact. We can argue how close they are, but it is more, number one. Number two, it was the right thing to do isolation for some period of time to avoid a northern Italy situation where our hospital systems were overwhelmed. We never reached that. Even in New York, we never got to that level. All of that was fine. Um, I would have left certain areas of the country still doing elective surgeries, and I would have moderated my message of lockdown, as you just said, not if you have a heart attack or stroke, not if you need to be seen emergently. The hospitals are empty. Please go and they're safe. So I would have probably added that. So I, I agree with you on those points. Now, where we are today, we need to move about. We need to unwind these lockdowns and we need to do it carefully. And I'm all for getting some people that are at lower risk. They should get immune or get exposed. And we, we are going to need that as a society. Uh, so I agree with all those points. I would have moderated my lockdown message and I would have continued elective surgeries in certain markets. California has announced that they're going to continue with the, the shelter in place protocol until, I believe, the end of August. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think that's, I think that's ridiculous. I think it's too long. I think that it's not being smart and segmenting your populations. As you've pointed out, I would let people that are, that are at lower risk, that understand exposing other people, say, in their household, uh, if they don't have that situation, I would be moving about freely in that group, um, children, same way. And then I think even people at risk can move about if they use a mask and if they wash their hands, if they stay at least six feet away, if they go to a restaurant, I'd be in an outdoor uh, setting right now. And so I think that I think waiting until August, I don't know the purpose of that. And I feel as though that it's just too extreme right now for um, when you look at other places that have started to open up and we haven't seen an uptick of cases. 
So uh, I think that's too extreme. I know you're a sports fan. You you like to use the the NFL as an analogy in your in your book, your healthcare playbook. But let's just talk about uh, sports, for example, and and large public gatherings, maybe a, a concert, and a lot of the uh, the sporting events like the the Kentucky Derby and other things have been pushed to September. And we're hoping maybe uh, baseball will get back on on track, and maybe we'll be able to finish the hockey season. What are your thoughts on opening things up in terms of of concerts and and uh, large sporting gatherings in the fall. Is there a way we can do that? Well, I think we can do it, but we need certain conditions in place. So I would still use masks, and I would also advocate that there's some distancing uh, that is put in place. For example, I know the Dolphins were looking at having a reduced attendance so limiting the attendance and maybe having some spacing and seating. So I think we can do it if we do masks, a hand sanitizer, and some distancing. I'm okay with that. However, I would say probably what's going to happen, let's say we have an outbreak in Charlotte, then maybe the Panthers, they would play their game with no fans, for example. But other, other teams wouldn't. They'd be fine. So I think that if we do those measures, we can get back to normal, but I don't think we're going to get back to, you know, packed, packed stadiums or packed, you know, concerts where people are literally, you know, in mosh pits on top of one another. I don't think that's wise right now. Do you ever foresee a time when we'll get back to, to that, to a normal situation in terms of concerts and sporting venues? Yeah. I think that, you know, it's kind of a, it's a good thing, a bad thing about America. We basically, we have amnesia and I, you know, it helps us in some ways and other ways we we have to learn our lessons more than once. But I do think that, you know, people ask me all the time, are we going to have handshakes again? Yes, we will. I think I think that, you know, if you look into 2021, by that time, probably this time in 2021, we won't even be talking about this. And we probably will go back to our, our normal behavior when the incidence of this gets very low. Um, we've seen that with other infections. We've, you know, we've had bad H1N1 influenza infections with lots of deaths, and we didn't do any of this. So I think we will go back to it, but we're going to need to develop a little amnesia, which we typically do. And um, I, you know, I don't think, but I do think one thing we should take out of this is, you know, washing your hands, just being smart about not going to work when you're sick, and some of those common sense things that we just have not done. I think will stick, and we should keep doing. More of my conversation with Dr. Dennis Durrell when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. 
Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, The Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Say, have you visited our Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary? No? Well, here's Colleen Forgus, our Full Script Dispensary Manager and Nutritional Therapist to tell you all about it. Hey, Colleen, welcome. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? I'm terrific. Let's talk multivitamins today. Great. You know, even if we're eating the best diet that we possibly can, I do really think it's a good idea to take a multivitamin daily. And I have two products, actually one designed for women and one designed for men by a company called Innate Response. And I love it because it's derived from food. So it's a really high quality multivitamin. Terrific. We'll talk again next week. Take care, Richard. All right. That's Colleen Forgus, our full script dispensary manager, nutritional therapist. If you want to order any of these products you hear about, it's real simple. Just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the full script dispensary button and then register. Remember, all orders receive 10% off and orders of $50 or more, well, that order ships for free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Theoretical physicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Dr. Dennis Durrell is here. What are some of the other lessons uh, to be learned here, the takeaway for the next pandemic? And I'm assuming, you know, at, at some point there will be another pandemic. In terms of the way that the healthcare system is operating, what, what for you are the key takeaways here for the next time? 
Well, I think, first of all, limiting travel was huge. And I think, you know, we limited travel from China, but we did not limit travel from Europe. And I think if we had been aggressive, really aggressive early on with that, that would have been very helpful. Number two, you know, I was interviewed by a company that I consult for, Cepheid. They make tests like this. And they asked me on February 11th, should we make a test for COVID-19? It wasn't even called COVID-19. It was just the novel coronavirus at that time. And I said, yes. And think about that. I mean, if we had been aggressively working on testing in, this, in January, we would have been much farther along. So I think limiting travel faster, particularly worldwide from Europe, uh, would, is good. I think aggressive testing and testing early and then I think we need to moderate our message and I, we can't shut down the entire country. We need to be smarter and do it regionally and be it in a, in a guided measure with local data. Um, and then, you know, I think overall, we need to fund surveillance for these things, which we kind of had stopped funding. And we also need to continue to put money into vaccines. You know, people were working on coronaviruses and vaccines, but they just, you know, their funding got canceled or was dwindling. You know, once SARS and MERS happened and there were no more outbreaks. So I think something I've taken away from this is we need to put money to have things ready to go uh, when we when we have this happen again. And what about uh, preparation? So, for example, there were a number of states who thought they were prepared and then, you know, obviously they were not. So. What's to be learned for the next time, also in terms of supply chains for, for medical equipment, et cetera? Yeah. Oh, I think that's a whole nother area. I think protective equipment, um, ventilators, um, capacity, uh, medications, even swabs. We found out swabs were an issue to do this test. So, yeah, I would break down those pieces and, and I would have scenarios in place a, B, and C, if A doesn't work, B, if B doesn't work, C, for supply chains. And I would diversify my supply chain. For example, if you were heavily reliant on certain products from China that, that were shut down in terms of coming into the U.S., uh, that, you know, basically because each country was keeping what they, need, they had of their own, I think that we need to have more diversification. And I would also say that the federal government has, I think, learned a lesson in this that they're going to need to be the reserve to stop gap when states don't have what they need. And I think we were short on that end, too. If you had to give the World Health Organization a grade on their response and performance during this pandemic, what would it be? I'd say it's a D. I would give them a D. I think they were, they were slow to react, kind of like Ebola. They were slow to... They were... They were equivocating on whether this could be transmitted from asymptomatic patients, which it clearly can and, and it's been shown to, to have been done. They probably, I think, learned that or knew that in China. So I think they were late. They were um, light on details or inconsistent on details and recommendations. And I, I don't think that they really, they didn't guide in terms of, I would have put out stricter guidelines on airline travel, particularly, you know, from Europe into the U.S. I mean, we had six weeks of people coming from Europe into New York City, and that's why we have the worst 
outbreak that we have in the U.S. in New York density and those people coming in. I think the World Health Organization was late and inconsistent, so I don't give them a great grade. And I think they're trying to make up for it now, but um, I've found their information to be lacking. A Democratic-sponsored bill called TRACE, 6666. I won't ask you to comment on the sequence of numbers 6666, but the idea of uh, uh, <laughs> testing, reaching uh, reaching in, and contacting everyone. Some have, have raised the concern of uh, violating Fourth Amendment rights and so forth. What are your thoughts? Do we need TRACE? Yes. Oh, I definitely think. I mean, having done some training in infectious disease, you can't begin to control an outbreak unless you can do what some countries have done a brilliant job. I mean, you look at South Korea, um, look at Singapore. And so, yes, we need to be able to test, trace, test, trace, isolate. So you got to test people that you think have it or even test people at random to find out how many have had it. And then if you find someone that has it, you've got to contact them, find out who they've been in contact with and contact those people and everybody on that chain has to isolate. And if you do that, you will, there's no doubt, you will mitigate, you'll mitigate spread and disease. Um, and I think we're gonna have small pockets of that. So we'll have an outbreak at a meatpacking plant or we'll have an outbreak at a shoe factory or in a town or at a church, which we're seeing now. And once we see that, for example, there was a church in Georgia that I, after they reopened, they had some outbreaks, and now they're, they're closing that church. So I think we're going to need, and I'm sure they're isolating and testing everybody that was associated with it. That's exactly what we need, and that'll give people confidence to move about because they'll say, hey, I've got people are looking for people that have this, and they're looking for the people that are around those people, and they're spreading that word, and those people are staying home and their their employer is okay with it because they know they have to to protect their company and their employees. So I think all of that is very, very important. Spend a few moments and tell my listeners about your healthcare playbook, Winning the Game of Modern Medicine. Yeah, sure, I will. Um, I want to tag something on, though. Um, I wrote the book with the NFL. Uh, I think football is a great way to understand healthcare. There's a lot of good analogies in there. And uh, what, one good analogy that led to something that I created is a, uh, when I was watching the NFL and I realized, you know, geez, the instant replay is amazing. You can watch it over and over again. I found a doctor who was actually making videotapes of instructions for his patients. And so, uh, you know, I created an app that actually does that. So if you, right now, when you can't go visit your loved one in the hospital, if they download the app for free, they can ask their doctor to just record the key elements in the summary of the visit and all the instructions that are important. And then they can immediately share it with their family member. And when they get home, they can watch it again and again. So that app is called My Doc Replay, and it's on Apple and Android, and it's free. And uh, for example, my dad lives in Georgia, and I just got a notification from him that uh, he made a video with his doctor that I can watch. And then when I talk to my doc, my dad, I'll be able to explain because I've seen the words of what his doctor said. So uh, that's what I'd like to put out there. And I'd like to make it available to everyone. That's a brilliant idea. Um, where else uh, is the NFL analogous to uh, sort of navigating the healthcare system? Well, that's great. And I think that's a good question. So, 
I think the classic thing is if you look at the doctor-patient relationship, the patient's the most valuable player. For example, kind of the star quarterback. The doctor, your primary care doctor, is your head coach. And if you think about it, think about it at the end of a game when a, a team is two minutes left in the game and they're down by a touchdown and the quarterback comes over to the sideline and the coach and the quarterback kind of put their head together. They talk about everything that they could do, the possibilities, the defenses, they go through everything. And then the quarterback goes back in and calls the play and that's it. And that's called shared decision-making in healthcare. And I think president Trump, the fact that he's taking hydroxychloroquine is a classic example of this. He got together, Ted a tete just quarterback and coach with his doctor. They went through all the options and all the plays that we, they might be able to do. They assessed the risks of each play and benefit, and he chose to take this for prophylaxis. And that's something that we call shared decision-making. And uh, I like to use the analogy of that coach and the star player coming together, but ultimately the player is the one in that game. The doctor is not at home with you living your life. He's just a coach or she's the coach. And, and so uh, you ultimately have to call that play. And President Trump called it that he wanted to take hydroxychloroquine for prophylaxis. He knows the risks and benefits, if there are any. And, and that's a good analogy of how you should make decisions with your doctor. You mentioned Trump and the hydroxychloroquine. He's taken a great deal of, of heat for, uh, for announcing that he was taking uh, that. In fact, one commentator was saying that, uh, you know, he's going to be responsible for, for X number of deaths because people will be following his lead. But as you say, this was a decision made by his, his doctor. We're getting so many uh, conflicting reports about the efficacy of hydro, uh, hydroxychloroquine and uh, azithromycin and, and zinc etc. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I do think President Trump has to be careful about what he says because he is the president. And so, but I still agree if he chooses to take that, that's fine between he and his doctor. In terms of hydroxychloroquine on its own or with azithromycin and zinc or any combination of that, there's been probably 10 studies done And there's been one that was randomized and controlled, and it didn't show a big benefit, but it really wasn't done as well as it could have been done, and we needed more data, a bigger study. But if you, so so there's been some positive studies, there's been some negative studies, and jury is out, and I think that about a third or, or so of our patients are asking for it or taking it. And until we know that it works or doesn't work, it's fine to try. Um, I, I feel as though it won't have a benefit, but I have not advised people not to use it in my group. Um, I'm waiting for the big data out of New York, which should be available soon, and that'll kind of solve this issue. Finally, how do people get a copy of your healthcare playbook? Just go to Amazon and search uh, your healthcare playbook, Dr. Durrell, and you can also follow me on Twitter. I put a lot of this stuff up every day at Dr. Durrell. And again, download the app My Doc Replay if you want to make a little recording to remember what your doctor said. Fantastic. Dr. Durrell, great meeting you and thanks for spending some time. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in just a moment to tell you a few things about an upcoming episode. 
I want to tell you about something I discovered recently called carbon-60. I call it the miracle molecule. Now, you might remember an interview I did recently with a researcher, Chris Burris, who's looking to help people who experience pain, inflammation, loss of sleep, or lost mental acuity with his new C60 company, C60Evo.com. He has a product which is a consumable form of carbon-60 called ESS-60 that's been proven in peer-reviewed, published research to extend the lifespan of test rats by 90% while allowing them to live tumor-free. That's pretty amazing. Those rats were given the C60Evo.com formula. The formula is a powerful antioxidant, 172 times more powerful than vitamin C, and it's known to be a powerful anti-inflammatory. C60 is based on Nobel Prize winning chemistry. I highly recommend ESS60. The mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon every morning and we're both pain-free and sleeping better than ever. Discover the benefits of carbon-60. I call it the miracle molecule, ESS60, from c60evo.com. Now, make sure to use the coupon code RS1SPEC. That's RS1SPEC. Buy today at c60evo.com. That's c60evo.com. And don't forget the code RS1SPEC. This product has not been assessed by the FDA and is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, a paleo fiction author discusses real life sea monsters. You know, people always think like, oh, look at this 500 pound grouper coming up to me, you know, swimming next to me, looking at me. They're such curious creatures. And I laugh because the grouper is not curious when he looks at you, he's measuring. You know, these fish, they don't have teeth to break things up like a shark does, they don't take bites. They swallow their prey like a large amount of bass on steroids does, whole. So when he's looking at you, he's calculating, will that fit? And if he thinks you're going to fit, he's going to try. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need. We need constant petting. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.